0: Listening Dog Media.
1: This podcast
0: is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Muddy News
2: Media. Welcome to the Offside World. It's me, Kate Borsay, bringing you more wit and wisdom from the footballing sphere. Well, oh, we've got loads to look forward to on today's show. But to guide us through it all, I need two special chums. And today, well, she's a Hornet, a presenter on BBC Five Live uh, and also BBC London. She's an international stadium announcer or a stadium announcer for international games. That's right, the one, the only, Emma Saunders. That's Hello. Introduction. <gasps>
0: Thank you. Great to
2: have you back. Thank you. And next up, well... It makes me a bit emotional to look at this young lady because I feel like the offside rule has played a very small part in her now huge success, I jest. Uh, it's an offside rule graduate, though. Harriet Drudge, now working at The Athletic as head of social. She writes for Manchester United Women and plays for South London Women FC. Welcome, Harriet. Hello.
1: I'd I'd argue that it's a very large part in oh, uh, my career Oh, you're too nice to us. <laughs> Just tell us
2: about playing again because... South London Women FC, what kind of team is it? What's your role? How often do you have to play?
1: So South London Women FC, we're in the Greater London League and uh, we've got two teams, one in Division 2 South and one in Division 3 South. I play as a centre-forward in a 4-5-1, which means a lot of running. Thanks, coach. My
2: God, that's a (laughs) lot of... Yeah, so it's basically all on your shoulders or Uh, at your feet.
1: (laughs) Sometimes it feels like that, yeah. And if you haven't scored, then uh, it's just, yeah, you need to pull me out of those depths of despair. Yeah, so I'm back playing after being out for 2 months. After uh, a
2: horror concussion.
1: Yeah, so I got a concussion in uh, November, early November. Uh, we were winning 2-0 at the time as well against Did they have to of call the t- off the game? No, so I was a uh, stupid stupidly I was a bit of a trooper and I just got up and kind of Oh my god. Walked off on. the pitch. No, so we have a nurse, we have a couple of nurses on our team and I was lucky that one of them were playing that day. And she came over, did the whole assessment thing, and she said, "You aren't. There there is no way you are that coming you are. back on. Yeah. So that was just before halftime. We were winning 2-0. We lost 3-2. No. And I was absolutely raging on the sidelines. But the thing was, I had blurred vision in one eye, so I couldn't really well, have even come back on if I wanted to. Well, if you're going to
2: only play with one up front, what do you expect if your star striker can't make it? There you go. A <laughs> uh, harsh footballing lesson there yeah. for Harriet's manager. But you're playing again now. Working at the Athletic, Head of Social, you're surrounded by some brilliant football writers there aren't you
1: absolutely i'm absolutely in awe most most of the time that these guys are my colleagues and reading their stuff when i get the time to read as much as i can yeah because obviously it's actually quite tricky to read everything a lot of content it's a lot of content and it's long content as well because obviously that's what we're what we're about yeah there's some absolutely phenomenal journalists there working as kind of mentors for some of our younger writers and yeah it's a really good good atmosphere amongst everyone there emma you've just about
2: survived Christmas and the huge amount of football that happens to happen. I thought thought you were just referring to me being a Watford fan there. Well, there is that (laughs) as well, isn't there? Tell us how you are as a Watford fan and give us your highlights. So you've been working on a lot of games recently. Yeah, It is about to quieten down a bit and we'll discuss that later in the show
0: and why. But tell us the favourite game you've covered and why. What, over Christmas? Yeah, just... Oh, there's been so many. Since we saw you last. Yeah, so with Watford, um, I'm there. staying. Stadium announcer, which for the first chunk of the season wasn't a huge amount of fun. Announcing a lot of goals, but in the wrong net. Yes. Um, However, that did flip round a little bit over Christmas. Nigel Pearson came in. In fact, I think he'd only just come in when I was here last. So it's brilliant to be able to sit here now um, and say, even though there was a little bit of a blip against Villa and obviously in the cup against Tranmere, they're still very much in the dogfight, which we weren't before. No. So some big games coming up, but I think the highlight probably in that little chunk of games where we started winning, had to be where it began against Manchester United at home. This is Watford's fifth season in the Premier League this time round, but when you get those kind of results against those big yeah. teams, they're still just as sweet. Of course. So that that was huge. And obviously it was the start then of something where it gave us all a bit of hope. It gave you a bit of hope. Um, which momentum. is still very much there. Like I said, there was this blip against Aston Villa, but... Yeah, I, I think it's so, all to play for for all those teams at are the moment. Things quite positive at the club
2: behind the scenes. Are they just getting getting their heads down and and sort of cracking on with it? What what's kind of
0: changed yeah. in, the, in in the last? Yeah, couple of months? I, I would say the mood is definitely changed in the camp. There was this feeling when they were very much at the bottom of the table. It started to feel a bit like Fulham season last year, when inevitable. week after week yeah. it was just it was inevitable what was going to happen. Yeah. But it was like watching a car crash in slow motion. Whereas I think now there's certainly that hope there and everyone feels a bit rejuvenated and you're seeing week by week in the Premier League at the moment it's not really about top six anymore in a no, lot of ways isn't. it's all about the bottom it's, six Everyone's scrapping and, and who's bottom. actually going to get properly yeah. sucked in so I think everyone's just trying to remain positive because they know that there is a team there and there's a good manager that's mm. getting the best tune out of them but I do think it could go down to the last few weeks this season. Well, an exciting season ahead and an exciting show as well
2: which you might, uh, by the way, be listening to on Jack Radio. Every four o'clock on a Friday you can find us, so hello to our Jack Radio listeners. Not only that, you can catch us chatting today about plenty and Brexit's going to make a welcome or an unwelcome arrival as this week, of course, um, Britain finally begins its departure from the EU. So we've decided to link this back to football. How are earth would we do this? Well, in quite ingenious ways, I'd like to propose. So we're going to be later on, be talking about how Brexit links up with football and our very own Brexit 11. And then some of the best and worst quotes from footballing parents over the years. Sometimes they don't say very helpful things, do they? So we'll be tongue in cheek looking at a couple of those. But first... The winter break begins for some Premier League clubs this Monday. Now, this is a new thing, a newly branded thing. The plan is to give every side 13 days off. It runs over uh, just under three weeks in total, structured so that eight Premier League teams are in action on one weekend and the other 12 play on the following weekend. So that's how they get away with it without having to extend the season. And this is all based around the fact that uh, players are exhausted mentally and physically and need a bit of respite after that hectic festive period but should it even exist at all is the question we're going to ask on the offside rule is it even a break particularly when you consider that actually although this Premier League initiative is you know a straight 13 days off no competitive matches you're not even allowed to play matches during warm weather training there are some FA Cup ties so it's it's already gone a little bit wrong in that uh, some teams liverpool tottenham southampton newcastle have fa cup fourth round replays that take place early on in the break so it's already gone a little bit wrong harriet let's ask you are you a fan or not of this winter break and tell us where's your beef if you've got any
1: i think i'm a fan of the principle of it the timing of it for me is just not the right the right one though because Everybody talks about the hectic festive period and how many games you play, you know, what, four in nine days or ten days, something like that. Well, that's when you need your break after that. Yes, or just space them out a bit more. Exactly, space them out a little bit more. I mean, you know, in in the past, managers have said how integral Boxing Day football and that that hectic Christmas period is for the Premier League. And I agree with that. I wouldn't want want that to be scrapped whatsoever. But I understand... That players do need a break, and you know that not everything in their life. Uh, and this is coming from someone who plays football, works in football, and talks about football quite a lot. Not everything in everybody's life is all about football. So you know, <laughs> give them a little break, but at the right time. Waiting until February to do it is pretty ridiculous, really. But if you're if you're linking the two things yes. as a break mentally and physically for that period of football it doesn't make sense
2: and of course a lot of European teams and you know the German league Bundesliga French league all all have winter breaks you know actually over that festive Mm. period or just beforehand the Premier League has actually warned clubs so they've gone quite strong on saying look you need to not play any games if you arrange any matches during this period you are endangering the mental health of your players
0: they've been really strong about that Emma what do you think? I totally back Jurgen Klopp in that he's come out and pointed out in the Premier League statement where they've highlighted the facts in Hammered Home, you must have a break. You know, you can't go into um, warm weather training. You can't go like they would expect, maybe the top six to use this kind of opportunity to go yeah. to Asia, play in these tournaments. They've said, look, you must respect this break. So Jurgen Klopp has turned around and said, okay, we will. Well, we won't put our first team in that FA Cup fourth round replay against Shrewsby. Now, Liverpool aren't the only team, Premier League team in this predicament, Southampton, Tottenham and Newcastle also have replays to play. So by definition, as you say, Kate, this is not a break. When you look up the word, what a what a break is. Yeah. It's a pause in work or an interruption in continuity. There is still games across I, both weekends. I just weekends. say I really like that detail. This is this is, <laughs> this is this is this is my level of forensic detail but there, that are there here. There's still games across both weekends. Granted, you've got eight teams playing one weekend, twelve the other, and in theory, yes, a lot of them do get these this 13 days. But still, you've got those four teams there. Liverpool as title chases in, yes. in the mix that will not get a clean break, and,
2: and also is it really thirteen days when presumably the last two or three days at least you're going to have to do some sort of mini preseason, mini, Frank mini Lampard training? It exactly that he's well, called okay. it a mini
0: pre-season when so he gets. So how team much back
2: time together? off really is this? If you play for let's say Newcastle, who we haven't heard from in terms of what they're going to do with their FA Cup replay, that replay is probably what three or four days into the start of their break. Maybe I haven't haven't looked at the the exact timings, but. Let's say you've got a replay three or four days into the break. Most of them seem to be early on. And then you've got, what, five or six days maybe only of actual break before Mm. the little mini pre-season training begins. So that's not a lot of break. And also how annoyed are families and spouses going to be with this break? Because it comes at a time when kids aren't off school. So for all those those footballers who have kids at school, you can't really take them with you on this break anyway. So then how much of a break is it when Mm. you really just want to be surrounded by your family and friends, right?
0: I mean, I know certainly for Watford, I don't think that they've got plans to go anywhere abroad at the moment. The plan is just to let the players have time at homes with their families but as you've just highlighted there the kids are probably going to be in school if if they're in education so they won't necessarily get that quality time with their families which just seems to defeat the point really and also I think a big plus that people have tried to highlight with this break is that it could benefit England for Euro 2020 yes but if you look at the list of injuries that have already been incurred to some of the key players, as Harriet alluded to earlier, I think the damage is already done in terms of where they've decided to take this break. And Gareth Southgate, the England manager himself, has come out and said that he he doesn't necessarily see the benefits. And he's been involved in England sides that have gone really, really far in international competitions. Yeah, so, so that's
2: interesting. He's basic, basically come out and said before foreign managers arrived uh, managing the English national team no one really spoke about a winter break and since the arrival of foreign managers they've all had this bit of a bee in their bonnet that, that, that actually preparations for Euros and for World Cups during the summer are hampered by the fact the players are so exhausted by the end of the season so that argument has been scotched by Gareth Southgate. Harriet from you pluses and minuses anything else to add in?
1: Again the idea is good to give people a little bit of a break because I think everyone in everyday life needs a bit of a break sometimes And also, it would potentially give some, some of the journos a bit of a break from the biting cold at this time of year in press boxes. <laughs> but even then, you'll probably end up end up going to a different game because they've split the fixtures across two weekends. <laughs> so there's no respite there either. So, no, I think I came in with a kind of an open mind about it being a good thing. And Emma has completely swayed me the other way. <gasps> Emma, you persuasive sort <laughs> you. I mean, I came here with no agenda at all. We've just
0: had this so, conversation. This is So the essentially,
2: direction. because there's no proof it's going to help England, because last year there was a break of sorts a bit like this but no one appeared to brand it so right mm. um and because these fifth i mean i mean why okay so why are the fourth round replays able to disrupt this winter break who came up with that decision well How apparently when
0: the the premier league effectively gone back to Klopp now and said when you signed on the dotted line and agreed to this winter break you knew that there was a chance that you'd have an fa cup fourth round replay it's only now that you're making noise about it
1: yeah I, th- I think he's he's kind of taken it out on the FA Cup when it's not that competition it's not the FA's fault because yeah, they were upfront about it from the beginning they have okay. to be they have to put out the fixtures and when they might come so I mean obviously Klopp's not looking that far ahead to say oh yeah we might have a fourth round FA Cup replay against Shrewsbury to play that week I think on that note, it's worth highlighting. There's a really good bit in
0: piece in the Independent with Mark Palios. I think I'm saying his name correctly. Yeah. He's the former FA CEO, so he can speak from that perspective quite yeah. legitimately. But he's now the Tranmere owner because in all of this, we haven't even mentioned the EFL yet. Yeah. We're talking about how yeah. it might affect Who the Premier League side. Don't get a break, right? Exactly. So he he basically he says, "quote There's no holistic approach to this situation. So you've got the FA, the PFA, the EFL, the Premier League. They're all attacking this from different angles." Mm. Because, like we've said in all of this, we haven't even mentioned yet, you've got the likes of Oxford United that have got to play, I think, nine games now in February. They don't have the resources like the top six six clubs do. So how how are they supposed to cope? And I think until this is resolved in a way where all the all the different bodies are, you know, talk to each other and come to a more agreement, yeah. rather than perhaps the Premier League just enforcing this, I think we're we're going to disagree. And also, does it lend credence to the quote that players in the Championship, League One, League
2: Two, etc., might just think that Premier League footballers are a bit too pandered, too pampered, perhaps? Uh, so our notes uh, to the Premier League on this one, and all the other people involved, I must do better next time. It'll be interesting to see where this goes next year. Up next then, footballers' parents um, and the times they've embarrassed their superstar kids.
0: This is the Offside Rule from Muddy News Media.
2: Okay, so occasionally you get the odd story come out where a footballing parent has said something to embarrass their trying-to-be-cool, mega-earning superstar child uh, features, who, who basically anything you do that's you know, slightly hideous, is going to be featured in the papers. So the spotlight on the parents too. And sometimes they do embarrassing things. Uh, Manchester United youngster Brandon Williams' mum revealed that he still goes for a fry-up at her cafe. Whoops. (laughs) Sorry, mum. Yes, I do eat well. I have a completely vegan diet and I take my diet incredibly seriously. Uh, Lisa, who is his mum, said he has sausage and egg on toast. So not that bad. He'll probably get it off Ole now I've said that
0: bit of protein in there, it's not that yeah, bad, isn't it? Yes, yes. Everything in moderation.
2: I think there may be, I, I mean, certainly the amount of customers arriving at a, <laughs> at a cafe may increase. Um, I, I always think about the brilliant cafe at Bournemouth, which is just um, around uh, the corner from the stadium. Have you been there with us, Harriet? Yeah. No, no. I don't and know what you uh, And just uh, whether players and, uh, well, definitely management do and, uh, and uh, coaches pop into that fantastic fry up abode. So I'd like to know more about embarrassing things, Harriet, that, uh, that footballing parents have done.
1: So I've got two Arsenal-related ones. They okay. both kind of come from the same year in 2015. So the first one is Ainsley Maitland-Niles. His mum apparently got a bit, a little bit uh, tetchy at, at training when he was at an under-21s match. Oh, And she allegedly, keyword allegedly, <laughs> hit the then director of football at Arsenal. No. yeah. And threatened to take her son home. Why? No idea. But, you know. So she
2: wasn't it, happy with something. She
1: wasn't happy with some, the way things were going for Ainsley yes. at that point in time. And he was obviously then consequently banned from coming to any of their matches.
2: Wow. So that, I mean, you you, you do hear of that happening with younger kids and pushy parents on the touchline. That is a common story. No doubt our listeners would have, would have probably experienced some of that, but that's taking it to a whole nother level. Yeah, and also, is it level. is an under-21s game, so I'd suggest that uh, that uh, she might want to back away from her role as just parent l- in that just one. Just a
1: little bit, just a little bit. And the other one came after Arsenal lost 2-0 at Southampton on New Year's Day in 2015. And Roy Jack Chesney was at fault for both goals really but his dad comes out and says that per Mertesacker showed the agility of a rhinoceros oh so that's a way to endear yourself to doubt. teammates isn't it Blame another player absolutely I mean yeah I mean, that's definitely a way to endear yourself to to your, your son's teammates oh. and make it easy for him turning up at training the next day well what about falling out with a
2: whole country's press this is Jermaine Defoe's mum and the Canadian press. When he was over at Toronto, of course, he was made this mega star signing. The club played a lot of money. I think it was probably a record fee to get Jermaine Defoe over to play for Toronto in the MLS. And mum Sandra came too because Jermaine's really close with his mum. So she decided to help him settle in. She would move over with him. I presume they probably lived in the same place. She would also apparently be ever present throughout Jermaine's, whether it was at the training ground, whether it was at the club. Apparently she used to hang around outside the dressing room waiting to pick her son up after the game was over, kind of slightly embarrassing. Oh, Mum, could you just stand with the other parents, please? Do you have to, like, wait here? And I can just imagine her there with a little flannel and toothbrush. <laughs> Hello, but she was portrayed as quite a pushy sort of character because she apparently tried to engineer a move, or was part of, part of a group of people trying to engineer a move for Jermaine back to England. And he started off well at Toronto, but uh, he picked up a groin injury. He came back to England to get a diagnosis on another injury because he didn't quite trust the doctors apparently at Toronto. So there was lots of lots of conjecture flying around and apparently behind the scenes she was trying to engineer a move for him to go to QPR. Anyway, the Canadian press got hold of this story somehow and just went to town on her. And uh, there were several stories about her influence of painting her as a real villain. So she really got a lot of stick. Whether she had a lot to do with it or not, maybe it was just her looking looking after her son in a concerned mother way, but she certainly got involved
0: in Blimey. all of it. Emma. I never had him down as a mummy's boy. He's a massive <laughs> mummy's boy. <laughs> so a couple of examples I've got. One of them actually is a little bit of an anecdote. So I don't spend too much time at the Watford training ground, ground now, but this, I think this must have been a couple of years ago or so. It was midweek and I was up at Watford's training ground just preparing the preview piece that we do for the weekend's game and the it was one of the youth sides I mean it might it must have been the under eighteens, yeah, it probably was it was the under eighteens. They were playing a match, and at the time the team sheets were given out, and there was a little bit of sort of whispers going on because it had it just says try list" on the team sheets so okay. it it will have the listed names of yeah. the players that are effectively signed up to the club, and then it's quite common to see just the word try list" when they've got people that potentially are effectively yeah. trying out yeah. Turned out, the trial in question was Brooklyn Beckham. No, <laughs> wow, yeah. So then, all of us are suddenly thinking, "Wow, Posh and Beck's going to turn up sure, as well." You know, speaking of parents, they've got to be there for the yes. big trial. Anyway, I think it is safe to say the fact that he's now, I think, a photographer living in LA. <laughs> it didn't necessarily work out, but it just shows, doesn't it? It doesn't matter who your parents are; you're, you aren't necessarily going to succeed at a football <laughs> trial my other one which isn't actually apparent but it's quite funny nonetheless was I don't know if you remember before the Women's World Cup in the summer I forget which newspaper it was but there was a double spread of all these lovely tributes that were yeah. coming in from players it was
2: the Times, was it the Times? It? yeah
0: it was Rich Laverty and Molly that, Hudson yes this, that's they, it together. that's it yes yeah. and they put together this lovely piece of all these sentimental um, tributes that were from the players friends and family wishing them the best of luck uh, as they go to France for the And Lucy Bronze, you know, she she is one of the stars of that lioness's side. And it was was a brilliant tribute to her. But at the end, it just finished with three words, which were words the effect of don't be rubbish. But a bit ruder than that, (laughs) which I just thought, what a brilliant way to sign off this, um, you you know, which in years to come. I'm sure she'd probably put in a scrapbook kind of thing.
2: It was... um it was quoted a lot, and, and and it's a brilliant quote, and it's a brilliant quote because of the, because of the word used. But you'll just have to at home imagine <laughs> what starts with an S and ends with a T, from Lucy Bronze's brother George. Trent Alexander-Arnold loves his mum and dad so much. He's only really recently moved out of the family home, you know, despite being a megastar at Liverpool, despite earning more than enough money to have his own place. He's preferred to live with mum and dad. Now I think lives away from the family home. But his mum's quite kind of cute in the way that she describes what sort of happened to her son because she appears to kind of you know, not be bossing it a bit like Jermaine Defoe's mum and making sure that her son gets everything that he's entitled to. She's just really, really humble about it. Her boy, she says, playing against Ronaldo, are you having a laugh? I still can't believe it, she says when she talks of his success. Stevie Gerrard has written about Trent in his book and I said no way. So I went to Asda and I got the book and I checked a copy Aww. and there he is writing about my boy. Now I've become Trent's mum and she talks about how she gets recognised for it as well. So that's not so much, you know, embarrassing unless you're kind of um that's probably more sweet. Says, do you know what it says a lot about probably how he is as a player. As how well. yes, exactly. Yeah. He's um he he's kind of famously known, isn't he, for having his feet on the ground. This is a footballer revealing his embarrassment, or I think this is embarrassing. But Michael Owen admitted recently to the athletic that he didn't have his own bank account until the age of thirty eight. Who did all his banking for him, no. sorted out all his finances? Mummy. <laughs>
0: yeah Mummy Owen. Well, I hope she got some kind of cut, T- take to 10%. I, a hope so, so. I hope so, too. I hope so,
2: too. There we go, parents, you got to love them. Uh, but Brexit's finally arrived. Well, it's today, isn't it? Friday. So we thought it was our civic duty to discuss Brexit and football and come up with our very own Brexit 11. Emma, Harriet, we'll get on to the Brexit 11 in just a bit. But what's what's inspired this topic? Uh, Well, this was a lovely piece written in The Guardian. And uh, it tells us that when the UK joined the EU in January 1973, an 11-day festival called Fanfare for Europe took place at the instruction of the Prime Minister, Ted Heath, to celebrate entering Europe. It was a celebration of the new Economic and Cultural Union, so you got lots of highbrow art and design exhibitions, orchestral performances, you got a special Swan Lake going on at the Royal Opera House, uh, slightly more dubious things like a European beauty contest on ITV, but we'll just uh, move on swiftly from that one. But it also included a game of football called the Common Market Match, believe it or not. So it was the three, so this is the UK who joined the EEC along with the, the Republic of Ireland and Denmark, so they were one side, and the other side were the six. These are the founder members of the European Union, so Belgium, France, Italy, Luxembourg, Netherlands and West Germany. So Ralph Ramsey took charge of the three while the man he'd beaten as manager at the 1966 World Cup final, Helmut Schoen, was put in control of the six. So quite a match-up, you would have thought. The six contained the likes of Franz Beckenbauer, Gerb Müller, Dino Zoff, the three Three, uh, well, in that lineup: Bobby Moore, Colin Bell, Alan Ball, Bobby Charlton. This match played out at Wembley in front of a third full crowd. So a bit like the real EU and uh, the UK's involvement with it, kind of mixed reception to the actual game. But in the end, the British three won 2 nil. So that took place. The common market match took place when we joined the EU. No such fanfare for when we're leaving the EU, unless you like 50p coins and would like to buy... As, as sold by the Conservative Party, a Brexit tea towel. Yes, look it up. So in the games of Brexit, you either leave or you remain. OK, so we would like to know about the leavers, which well-known UK players have gone to Europe, tried to form a union, tried to become part of a team and then decided to leave. We've got 11 I'm going to give you a goalkeeper to start off with. And then between you, I'd like four players each and we'll try and make this work. Okay, so goalkeeper, at a push, I'm going to go with Joe Hart. Okay for Torino. Bit of a mixed season. Didn't finish brilliantly, though. He left the club after just one season uh, on loan from Manchester City, accused by the president of getting too caught up in which club he might move to next. So a little bit distracted uh, was Joe Hart's end at Torino. Of course, Man City released him and off he went. Where are we going to go next? So have you
0: got defenders, you two? Yes. yes, OK. I can throw you a left back. Yes, please. Arguably the greatest ever left back, I think, we've still seen in the Premier League now. Ashley Cole. He won three Premier League titles, seven FA Cups as well between his time at Arsenal and Chelsea. But he was sort of phased out towards the end of his time at Chelsea by Jose Mourinho as Azpilicueta became favoured. Could have gone to the MLS as a lot of these players do. Lovely time out on the other side of the Atlantic. But chose to go to Roma. Didn't quite work out for him there. Interestingly, Jose Hollybass ended up keeping him out of that Roma team, who's now the left back at Watford. Oh, that's so A bit of a link there. Started well, um, but then it went downhill very quickly. He was involved in a 7-1 defeat to Bayern Munich. And from there, Rudy Garcia, uh, who's now the Leon manager, but he was the Roma manager at the time, just sort of phased him out as time went on. And then famously... You have to give this a Google, the Ashley Cole Roma team photo if you've not seen it. Yes, I remember this. Yeah. Describe Um, what happened. So it pretty much sums up his time (laughs) at Roma. He claims that it was by accident. He have. I had a player next to him that effectively leaned forward but it created this illusion that he was stood about half a foot back from the rest of the team. <laughs> so if you can imagine a team photo and everyone's sort of shoulder to shoulder yeah. and then um, Ashley Cole on the left side of it, yeah, is about half, half a foot away from everyone else just looking completely disconnected from the situation um, which really was a bit of a metaphor for his time there. That ended. Yes. Yeah. So Ashley Cole, part of our defence, who are you going to go with?
1: Well, I'm going to throw in a right back, uh, okay. former teammate of our goalkeeper, Joe Hart, Mika Richards. Yes. Uh, who went on loan from City to Fiorentina. So we've got a bit of a, an Italian, Italian job going yeah, on here, yeah. for, for a little while. So, yeah, he, he made 19 appearances for Fiorentina. But as ever with Mika Richards, he, you know, unfortunately, he was quite injury prone. He suffered a lot with injuries, so didn't, didn't really make, move the needle much there. And yeah, after that, came back after a season and went uh, as a free transfer to Aston Villa. It was kind of the beginning of the end for Mika
2: Richards, yeah. that transfer, wasn't it? Because, uh, yeah, it all went a bit downhill from there. Um, it's obligatory for me to throw in Jonathan Woodgate, uh, one of the biggest Euro flops ever, signed for Real Madrid for £13.4 million. On his debut, scored an own goal and then got sent off. I did. It didn't improve very much. <laughs>
1: you think they're the only way up, but perhaps <laughs> yeah. 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 you can't. can't get any worse than this.
2: But. <laughs> um, he played nine times in total and was voted the worst signing of the 21st century by readers <sighs> of the Spanish sports paper, Marker with 37% of the vote. Brutal. Damning. That's not an accolade you want, is it? No, <laughs> not really at all. Any other defenders to throw in? Des Walker. Sampdoria joined Sven-Goran Eriksson's uh, side in 1992 despite playing 30 of Sampdoria's league games he was uh, largely played out of position at fullback. back uh, stayed just one season before returning to England Boohoo Des Walker uh, let's move into the midfield I must admit I haven't got a lot of midfielders so I'm going to look at you two to uh, rescue this situation
1: <laughs> uh, Well, I've I've got one I'm not sure that he went to Europe to try and as you said at the, at the start there to kind of bring everyone together because it's Joey Barton who went on loan from QPR to Marseille and in classic Joey Barton style he was actually banned for the first 12 matches of his his time at Marseille uh, due to and again it's linking back to a a City link Manchester City where he played in that game at the end of the 2012 title winning season where he got in a scrap with Carlos Tevez and then decided to take on Vincent Kompany and Sergio Aguera. I mean, of all the people, those three, you really want to start on those three yeah, as well. well. confidence, haven't you? Yeah, well, yeah.
2: confidence or, or stupidity, Arrogance. it's a So, uh, yeah, he was banned, fine line.
1: banned for 12 matches, two counts of violent conduct, well done, Joey. Um, and, yeah, so he when he did actually finally play for Marseille, he did okay, but then he got banned again for calling out Thiago Silva. I'm not sure whether I can actually say what he said, I don't really want to, but he, he said something... Can I just
2: point out it's... Four o'clock on a Friday for some of our listeners. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly, so I'm not <laughs> going to say it. But, he, yeah, calling out Thiago Silva, calling him something rather than nasty, and was banned again for two games. So he, so he didn't he,
2: spend much time playing?
1: Not really, although when he did, he, he did seem to contribute a little bit. But He
2: also did a wonderful impression of a French person when he gave his press conference. Do you remember? It was yes. a bit of a uh, Steve, McLaren Steve McLaren turning into yeah. a Dutchman, but uh, <laughs> Joey Barton, Barton had his go at uh, sounding a bit French. Okay, Emma.
0: Ravel Morrison. Oh my Um, goodness, yes. Yeah, so he was once described um, by Alex Ferguson as one of the greatest talents he'd ever seen in a Manchester United Mm. youth side. So there was a lot of promise there. He came through with the likes of Paul Pogba. But from United, he went to West Ham before giving it a go in Lazio, so again in Italy. Things started well there, I think in his first game actually. He scored a brace and got two assists in a 14-0 win. But... I think he must have peaked too early because after that he barely featured um, that season. The coach there criticised his effort and his inability to speak Italian. And eighteen months later, he did find himself back at QPR on another loan stint. And then things from there it went a little bit quiet with Ravel Morrison. And he's one of those players that, in uh, whether I am at BBC or he's he's come up in conversation, it's sort of Mm. of what happened to him. What happened to him until. The start of this season. Now, if there's one manager that can discipline a bit of a tearaway, a bit of a bad boy like Ravel Morrison in the Premier League at the moment, who would it be? Chris Wilder. Oh my the dis- yeah, disciplinarian himself. Yes, so he's yes. on the books there now, Ravel Morrison. I think he's had one appearance for about ten minutes in the Premier League um, for Sheffield How old United. Is he now, Ravel Morrison? Don't know.
2: Must be must be getting on
0: a bit. At uh, 26, apparently. So,
2: really, he's not, is he? I know. He's on one of bit. those
0: that, I think because he has so much promise at such a young yeah, age, young it, young it feels age. like
2: he's been around forever. Okay, well, we're going to go for a 4 3 three in this situation because we're going to run out of midfielders. Uh, So let's uh, mention before we do, Oliver Burke went to Leipzig, mostly uh, used as a sub, touted as the next big thing in Scottish football. Hasn't managed to deliver though just yet. Uh, He's currently at Alaves on loan from West Brom but went to Leipzig beforehand uh, where he made the majority of his appearances, as I said, as a sub. So not really worked out so far for Scottish player Oliver Burke. Let's go up front there. And Harriet,
1: one of us had to mention this this player, former player because of the famous quote that actually he's refuted that he said, but Ian Rush spent one season in Italy with Juventus. And famously, when he came back, apparently said, "I couldn't settle in Italy. It was like living in a foreign country." But he, <laughs> he favorite favorite quote, thank you, Ian. <laughs> he has told 442 that he didn't actually say that, and he's blaming Kenny Dalglish. Yes. So, but his season in Italy wasn't too bad. He played 40 matches, scoring 13 goals. So he didn't do too badly. But obviously, wasn't keen on, on uh, spending more time in Italy or pasta,
2: maybe or pasta, 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 and pizza. My favorite things in in the, in the whole wide world. Why why wouldn't you? Emma?
0: Michael Owen, I've got. Mm. Um, Obviously, made himself a bit of a Liverpool legend in this country and used that as a springboard to try things out at Real Madrid. But it emerged that things didn't really work out there, mainly because he found it hard to adapt to the lifestyle, which, having been there for the Champions League final in June, I find very hard to believe. Mm. I thought it was a lovely place to go. Anyway, I think it's kind of maybe what we're seeing now a little bit with Gareth Bale too. But for Owen... He said that he felt bad for his wife and his baby having far too much time to spend in a hotel with nothing to do.
2: Yeah, I, I I always secretly laughed as a Liverpool fan on this one because of course he left, left Liverpool to um, secure European football uh, to try and win some major trophies, and in two thousand and five, of course, uh, Liverpool famously won the Champions
0: League. <laughs> so it was a little bit and like, he only lasted one season there in the end. So yes, that was a flop.
2: Left for the uh, equally glamorous surroundings of Newcastle, didn't he? Um, we've got room for one more striker, one more up front. I've got a couple for you to choose from. Actually, you can go with well, I put Gareth Bale in there because he it it, it is ending as a bit of a nightmare situation for him here over at Real Madrid. So I've got him or Luther Blissett or Stan Collymore. Which one
0: would you like? As a Watford fan, I have to back Luther in this situation.
1: <laughs> to not go in? Or to
2: go no, in? To go in? Yeah, he's got to go in. Break okay, K11. so signed for AC Milan from Watford amidst the persistent rumour that the San Siro giants thought they were signing John Barnes and this never really left. Yeah, famous for his complaints that no matter how much money you have in Italy, you can't seem to get Rice Krispies.
0: <laughs> Good point.
2: And also, I mean, he did not enjoy a good time. For some reason, Jolly Japes maybe, his name was adopted by an anarchist group in Milan who committed acts of civil disobedience and gave their name only as Luther Blissett to the authorities. So his name was used slightly bizarrely, by a load of anarchist <laughs> groups over in Milan, which is utterly hilarious. Or not, if you're, lucid, yeah. if you're Luther Blissett. So, our 11 looks like this. Hart in gold, Joe Hart, Ashley Cole, Des Walker, Jonathan Woodgate, Mika Richards along the back. Then Joey Barton, Ravel Morrison and Oliver Burke... Uh, in midfield. Up front, Ian Rush, Michael Owen and Luther Blissett. I think that's a pretty good team, actually. No shame at all in not performing in Europe. In fact, a lot of them came back to perform on the English stage. Well done, ladies. That is a great Brexit 11. We had music artist, singer, songwriter, producer, Shura in on the WSL show on Monday. Check it out, by the way, our WSL edition. It's available on a separate feed on iTunes. But she came. She actually paid for Manchester City until the age of 16. And she came on the show to talk about Man City, but also to talk about her music career and just have a good old chin wag about football in general. And we have set her the challenge of coming up with our Any Other Business theme tune. So uh, I've been waiting for this for a long time and decided that Shura is the only right person with, you know, several thousand, tens of thousands of Twitter followers having released records with you know bands like Uncle and, you know, basically being a serious music artist, that she has the challenge of the Any Other Business music theme tune. I'm going to continue with Brexit for this one just quickly. A couple of things floating around at the moment. Because of Brexit, uh, the UK will no longer be able to benefit from signing 16 to 18-year-olds. This is basically part of a European deal that we have where we can sign players between 16 and just under 18, but we can't sign players throughout the world when Brexit comes into place that's section 19 which is this thing that says you you will not sign a player uh, unless they're 18 or over that comes into play uh, when we leave Europe it's not clear when but uh, you could no longer see the signings of players like Cesc Fabregas Hector Bellerin and Paul Pogba because of that rule also because of Brexit the FA wants to introduce a new Brexit quota for Premier League clubs um, to promote homegrown talent post-Brexit, they want to reduce the number of non-homegrown players from the current 17 to just 13. The Brexit fallout continues. Where are we going to go with this one, Harry? Any other business for me?
1: Just mention Christine Sinclair, the Canadian women's soccer star legend the one the only surpassing Adby Wambach in the international goal scoring records men's and women's so she's now at 185 (sighs) international goals goals, for Canada which is just incredible Um, yeah and we spoke about it a lot in the summer was she going to do it at the World Cup she didn't quite make it but she has done now
2: well congratulations to
0: Christine Sinclair Emma Saunders well, on the subject of winter breaks, I'm taking the Premier League's advice and going away myself next weekend Ooh. to San Siro to watch the Milan Derby. But hang on, you're
2: not allowed to any competitive match. <laughs> like I'm just wondering how that's going to
0: work. I'm enjoying it purely as a fan for my okay. men- the good of my mental health. Okay, <laughs> okay. are you um, sure watching a football match, watching another football match because this is oh, what you well, do yes. for your job? When it's in a foreign country, country and you're yes. like, you know, allowed to enjoy <laughs> a beverage in the stand and a slice of pizza, it's all well and good. But my any other business, I think, has to be that. That quite bizarre video that was released by Inter Milan when they completed the signing of Christian Erikson this week. So it was about a minute and a half of him just parading around this very posh theatre. I'm led to believe it's Teatro alla Scala, which I think is, okay. um, is quite well known in Milan. It was published with the hashtag Not For Everyone. Which I think probably summed up the content really, because it was just Is that very, some sort of translation I'm not, issue. I'm not really sure. It's very
1: strange. Yeah, they've done it for quite a lot of their signings, haven't they? Recently, so with Ashley Young in the background, hashtag not for everyone. I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure they might have quite, thought this it's one quite through. Quite a bizarre message. We know yeah. that
2: technically it's not for everyone because they've signed for you. But the but but the connotation of not for everyone I is a bit know, with Ericsson, odd.
0: Is that like a bit of a stab at Tottenham? I'm not really sure. But so you say they've done it with Ashley Young. Yeah, as well. the same
1: hashtag. Same hashtag's been used for quite a lot of their yeah. recent signings. But still,
0: nonetheless, as a football fan, just going there to enjoy that match that weekend, I'm quite looking forward to seeing what is now Antonio Conte's all-star Premier League yeah. eleven. But yes. with the likes of Lukaku, Ashley Young, Sanchez, Eriksen now up, cropping up as well. Well, have
2: a wonderful time. Thank you. We expect to see some pictures on social media. Make sure that you take a mental and physical rest. (laughs) Harriet, are you going to be doing anything during the uh, winter break? I'm going to the
1: equally uh, exotic climbs of the Isle of Wight oh <laughs> lovely yeah. which is Harriet's home nation it is It is. You know, going abroad as lots <laughs> yeah. of people like to say well to me well done
2: well done for some warm weather training or the opposite <laughs> of warm weather training maybe well it's been a delight to be joined by you both thank you very much for your contributions on today's show that's the end of us for this week of course we are out every week every Friday find us on social media at Offside Rule Pod or even better check out our website Offside Podcast dot com plenty of articles there to float your boat including Weekend Wanderers which gives you five little nuggets for the weekend ahead and you should be able to access that straight away. Emma, Harriet thank you very much for coming in. Uh, Enjoy your winter breaks (laughs) and listeners, well we'll speak to you next week.
0: The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising email sales at muddykneesmedia.com
1: Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's new racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews and a bit of crack from the greatest trio since salt, vinegar and chips, but marginally less unhealthy. The first episode is out now. Muddy
2: Media